0: So we are about 10 hours and 20 minutes into Advent, and I'm a little curious, how many of you have your house totally decorated already? You stayed up all night like elves decorating decorating your house. Uh, I do want to give thanks for, for Peter and, and his crew who uh, spent a lot of time this last week decorating our sanctuary uh, as well as our fellowship center, and yes, thank you. Thank you, Peter. And, and crew is quite quite a crew. Last Sunday, I, I mentioned that uh, every Thanksgiving I have a friendly competition with my mother-in-law where I, I smoke a turkey and she she prepares one in her grandma's uh, smoker. So I, I always feel like I started at a disadvantage because she has 75 years of seasoning in that that, that roaster. Um, and I'm happy to report that even though my son, who doesn't necessarily love turkey, um, declared me winner that we really were, were all winners because we had 30 pounds of turkey for 11 people. Way too much turkey. Way, way, way too much turkey. We're going to be eating it for a long, long time. I made the joke about the, the turkey sandwich, but we're going to be eating turkey sandwiches for a long time. The, the truth is all three of our kids uh, would prefer the sides... To the turkey. Anybody else like that? That you prefer Thanksgiving sides to, to the turkey? Um, and, and there's, there's, there's one side in particular that, that is always a hot item in our house. Yams with marshmallows? Anyone? Nobody else doesn't eat. Ruth is shaking her head. No, she does Too sweet? Too sweet? They might be too sweet. Um, grandma's marshmallow covered sweet potatoes. They were a favorite when I was a kid as well. I have memories of sitting at my cousin's house and watching them come out of the oven and and trying to, to scheme how I could get two marshmallows instead of one marshmallow onto my plate. And then thinking through already, even as I'm carrying my, my first plate, how I'm going to get that second plate of marshmallows. I should, sweet potatoes too, but really what do I want is the the, the marshmallows. And I I, I don't think... That I am or was or my kids are alone. There, there was actually a study done by a Stanford psychologist and, and professor in the early 70s that revolved around marshmallows. It, it involved being a, a, bringing a, a child into a room and setting a marshmallow in front of them. Have any of you heard of this, this, uh, this experiment? They, if the child could sit for 15 minutes, if the child could sit for 15 minutes without touching the marshmallow, they would be rewarded with a second. I wouldn't have lasted. <laughs> they, they, they followed up with the children later in life to see uh, when they graduated from high school and then again later to see if there was any indication, anything that we could learn uh, about uh, people and, and patience and delayed gratification. Um, and variations of the same experiment have been performed over the years, and they've shown that, that really that first experiment kind of It didn't take into account all of the different variables, like, for example, how much does the kid actually like marshmallows? How hungry is the kid as they sit down? That it didn't really take into account all of the different variables. But, But more or less, the study serves, to some degree, as a reminder that waiting can be difficult. Waiting can be difficult whether it's something as simple as waiting for sweet potatoes with marshmallows to come out of the oven or something more significant. We live in a world, we live in a society that that wants to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible and waiting is hard. In Advent, it's, it's, it's a stop sign. It's a stop sign. Or at the very least, it's a slow down sign to say, pay attention. Slow down and, and pay attention along your journey. It reminds us that as we, we live between the time of Jesus' birth and the time of Christ's return, that we are called to wait and we are called to watch. So every week between now and Christmas, really between now and Epiphany, we're going to, to look at a, a variety of objects, things we, we see in everyday life, Objects that we may or may not associate with the Advent season and Christmas. And and, and we're going to look at these objects and ask how they might remind us that God is with us in the midst of the waiting. That God is with us even when the waiting is difficult. We're, We're using a book called Advent in Plain Sight that I meant to bring up here with me. And of course forgot by by Jill uh, Duffield and we're using it as kind of a, a guide both for for our Sunday morning time together as well as for our our daily devotional which you should have gotten in your mail in your email early this this morning and today we are invited to think about gates this week we are invited to think about gates a couple of weeks ago when I, I picked up the book for the first time and I, I saw gates as the first week's focus I had to chuckle I had to chuckle because uh, our leadership team here at Westminster has been talking quite a bit about gates over the last couple of months gates they can they can communicate all kinds of messages an open gate can be seen as welcoming a, a closed gate discouraging they can provide a sense of security or can make you pause and wonder who or what is being kept in or kept out. They can be decorative, and inviting, or they can be cold, and off-putting. In our first reading this morning, Pastor Darrell shared from an incredibly important moment in Genesis. Jacob had received his father's blessing, and he he sets out on his journey. I love this part of the story. He gets tired, and he pulls out a rock for a pillow. And he thinks, I'm going to fall asleep right there. I'm going to fall asleep right there. And he has a dream and is given a message that mirrored the one that his grandfather, Abraham, had been given as well. All the people of the earth would be blessed by him and his family. That it wasn't just about him. It was about the entire world. When he wakes up, he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. How awesome is this place? This is the house of God, the gate of heaven. Now, my guess is that most of us haven't experienced a dream quite like Jacob's, but I'm guessing we've all had those moments where we, we can't deny the presence of God. One of those kind of aha moments inspired by a song or a hymn. A moment in the mountains or, or in the, at the beach or, or something that happens in everyday life and we just... We, we just can't explain it, but for some reason we say, you know what? In this moment, I, I'm, I'm feeling closer to God. Jacob, he wakes up and he names the place Bethel, which means the house of God, and refers to the gate of heaven, the space where, where the divine and the, the everyday life collide. Collide. Advent, as Jill Duffield writes, reminds us that that God is at work breaking down barriers to be with us in that that in-between space and to, to bless us so that we can be a blessing to the rest of the world. The Celtic tradition refers to those moments and spaces where God breaks down walls and open gates between the divine and the commonplace as thin places. So in this morning's Advent devotional, I said that there are, are, are places where we can't help but see a glimpse, just a, a glimpse of God's kingdom breaking into our world, a glimpse of God's kingdom coming to earth. So sometimes we experience them on the mountaintop, sometimes it's at, at the beach, other times it's a sacred space like a sanctuary, and sometimes it's just in the ordinary that those places, those thin places kind of arrive. In Advent, it reminds us to wait for them, to be patient as we seek them out. And it it also reminds us that even when we aren't looking for them, even when we aren't feeling particularly close to God, for whatever reason that God longs to be near us, that God longs us to draw near to God. Our second passage this morning isn't one that we we typically think of during this season, but it's a clear illustration of God moving toward God's people. Right after Jesus provides a meal that would make the largest of our Thanksgiving uh, gatherings feel small, in Matthew 14, we read this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there are all kinds of lessons to learn from this passage. Jesus spending time in the mountains praying alone. The the faith Peter displayed as he, he stepped out of the boat. And then the doubt that comes as he looks around and as he, he sees the waves on the, on the sea, as he, he, he feels the wind. Jesus reaching out, saving him. Peter's declaration, you are the son of God. Many lessons to, to be gleaned from this passage. But I think the most, maybe the most accessible lesson in this passage comes from the, the simple reminder that God moves toward us. That God moves toward us. It's it's the entire message of the incarnation, the message of of, of Christmas. God coming to share in the human experience in the person of Jesus. I will never forget uh, sitting on the shores of the Sea of Galilee with the mountain range where Jesus uh, fed the 5,000 right behind me. It was my first day there. It It was calm, fairly early in the morning, there was a light breeze, birds were singing, all was, was calm. My uncle, who, whom I was traveling with, uh, was back in the room, probably, probably still asleep, and, and I wandered down to the water's edge, and I found a rock to sit on, and I sat there, and I, I pulled out my journal. It was the perfect setting for one of those thin spaces. I was trying to manufacture that thin space, it was going to happen right then and there. And then, as I started writing, I heard the hum of a boat engine in the distance coming toward me. Before long, the boat was racing back and forth in front of me, towing a skier on the Sea of Galilee. And I thought, what in the world is happening right now? A couple minutes later, families showed up to play at the beach. Fishermen came down and they started chatting. There was plenty, there were plenty of, of. quiet and reflective moments for the few days that I spent around that that lake, but that first morning definitely wasn't one of them. It took all of a few minutes to turn completely chaotic. The disciples, they, they experienced a, a different type of chaos the evening that Jesus met them during the storm. I imagine that the chaos looked a, a little bit closer to what we experienced here in our neighborhood on November 8th, four years ago when we evacuated our homes as the fires, the Woolsey fire came through, there was panic. There was concern. There was real fear, not the time or the place that you would expect to have one of those thin place moments and yet, for the disciples, that's right in the middle of when Jesus showed up. I imagine that that evening started relatively calm. Jesus was exhausted after the feeding of the 5,000. And he said, essentially, he said, hey, I'm going to go away and pray. I'm going to go away and rest. Why don't you get a head start and I'll meet you on the other side in the morning. But it didn't stay calm for long. The disciples were out on the lake because of Jesus, remember? He was the one who said, go out there. And they're going there because they're listening to him. They're responding to them. And though it's not our focus this morning, I think it's important we see that sometimes Jesus' followers are led into the storm. Jesus' followers are led into adversity. It's often in the midst of those moments that God comes toward us. One of my favorite commentaries on the Christmas story uh, comes from the fourth chapter of Galatians it comes from the Apostle Paul. He, he paints a picture of, of struggling, a struggling people. And he says, when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law so they might be adopted as sons and daughters in the fullness of time and the fullness of time, God moved toward his people and God continues to move toward us today. There are all kinds of barriers that the disciples felt that that evening, the sea of Galilee, it really isn't that big, but we're told that they were a considerable distance from land, from the land. And it wasn't like their boat was a yacht or even a, a pontoon boat that's 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 parked down, like the one that's parked down the street at the docks. The disciples, they, they knew this lake well, but the wind and the waves of the storm had taken them off course. They had to be exhausted. And as the storm picked up, I imagine they, they began talking amongst themselves and, and they said things like, Really? He goes up to the mountain to sleep? And He sends us out here, right into the middle of this mess. Really? When do we get to rest? Before long, their complaints and concerns, they turn to a real fear. It's one of the the biggest barriers that they faced, one of the biggest barriers that we faced of seeing God move toward us. Some have suggested that the phrase do not be afraid shows up 365 times in Scripture simply so that we can have a daily reminder of not being afraid. And I, I think that's a, a bit of a stretch. It's not really 365 times. I, I think the, the, the sentiment is is there too. It is all over Scripture. Do not be afraid. So one of the questions that I would invite us to explore during this Advent season revolves around our own fear. What are you afraid of? And how does that, that fear serve as a barrier to seeing God at work? What are you afraid of and how does, that fear, how does that fear set up barriers so that you can't see God moving? In your own life, in the life of our church community, places in the world, fear sets up barriers. What are they? We're not going to spend too much time talking about every type of fear. We would be here for another couple of hours. But we live in a culture that feeds on fear. And while I definitely believe God has given us brains to use, that we need to exercise caution, we need to recognize risk, we need to remember that God is with us, that God is with the strangers we encounter, that God meets his people in the midst of the storms we encounter. Another barrier that we might experience during Advent is the, the chaos or the busyness of the season. How many of you are already looking at your calendar for the next month and are exhausted? I, I, somebody walked in today, or when I walked in today, somebody asked me, so what's your, what's your sporting event today? And I, was, and I thought to myself, well, you know what? Baseball's done. Soccer's done. We are, we are done for Sunday. It's so great. It's It's awesome. Oh, basketball started last Tuesday. Oh, okay. the, the choir concerts have already begun with our daughter for the season. It's, they're all great things, but it is a crazy busy season. And I don't even, that's not even getting to the Christmas stuff and the Advent stuff that is going on. It is crazy busy. And sometimes the, the busyness and the chaos of the Advent season, it, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, but it keeps us from recognizing God moving toward us. so here we sit on the on the first day of advent 10 hours 40 minutes into advent so far and i want encourage to encourage you to to take some time to be intentional with your calendar it's something we were very aware of here at westminster when we planned our our advent events and our, our christmas events is just recognizing how jam-packed the season gets. Take some time later today and, and look at it and be intentional. It's so easy to overcommit and to overplan. One of the ways that we, we can respond to God moving toward us in Advent is is doing that, is sitting down with our, our, our calendar, but there's other ways we can respond to. The moment the disciples on the boat, they see Jesus walking out to them. It's obvious that they're overwhelmed. It's obvious that they're afraid. And Peter, he eventually steps out of the boat. He takes a few steps and then he sinks. I've always thought that Jesus was a, a little harsh in the moment that he sinks. You of little faith. I've always thought that that Jesus was a a, a little harsh there. I would have responded if I were Peter with, what are you talking about? I got out of the boat. I got out of the boat. Did you just see me? I was walking on the water. Did you you see that? What what, what do you mean? Instead, Peter doesn't respond that way. He, he, He doesn't respond in anger. He doesn't respond with, what are you talking about? Instead, he, he climbs back in the boat. We're told that the, the storm calms, and he joins with the other disciples in crying out, Truly, you are the Son of God. I think saying that that moment for, for Peter, for the disciples, was, was a thin place moment. Saying that that was a, a thin place moment would probably be, it would definitely be an understatement. They respond with a dec- declaration about Jesus' identity. Truly, you are the Son of God. Years earlier, years and years earlier, Jacob responded to a dream with a declaration about a place that would be significant generations later. This place is often awesome. The, the, the place where the gates of heaven. As we enter this Advent season, We're invited to wait with hope, expecting God to show up. And though we ultimately await the second coming of Christ, we're also invited to remember that God is constantly breaking down barriers to draw near to us. How are we going to respond? Let's pray. Gracious God, on this first Sunday of Advent, We admit that there are challenges to seeing you move in our midst. That there are moments we're afraid. That there are moments that we're simply too busy. Remind us that we are loved. And Lord, that you are always drawing nearer to us and inviting us to draw near to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.